0: What to do? What to do? What do we do with all of those bad, old, terrible photographs that we still have laying around in our archives? That's the topic for today's Receptive Photographer Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Gregory. This is episode 430 of our little podcasting corner of the universe. I hope you're having a wonderful week, getting a chance to get out there, do something fun, creative, exciting, new, energetic, and filling your week with magic. But I do appreciate you spending a few minutes out of that week to check out the podcast here. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, it really does mean a lot to me that you are listening to the podcast. Okay, bad photographs. Lots of bad photographs. And the reason this has come up is several-fold. First off, I've actually been asked this question on the Any Question social media site. I was having a conversation with my friend Skip about some old photographs that both of us had sort of found in the archives. I've also just completed my teaching quarter. Where I've had this conversation numerous times with my students in the various classes I was teaching over the past quarter. And so this idea of the idea of a bad photograph, these old, bad, terrible photographs, what do we do with them? Do we just delete them? Do we go on ahead and ignore them? Do we put them in a special folder and hard drive and hope that our heirs deal with it when we're long gone? How do we deal with this problem? And the reason I think it's such an interesting question is I think, there are a few layers to this that need to be examined before we ultimately decide what to do with the bad photograph. One of the things that I think is important about these bad photographs, these notion of these photographs that don't sort of meet the minimum quality bar, is one, we have to be really honest about assessing our understanding of the photograph, its meaning, purpose, and intention. And there are certain things that we are biased towards in photographs. We're biased about the way they look, or biased about certain elements. I know somebody who cannot stand the rule of thirds as a compositional tool. They believe that any photograph that's using the rule of thirds is a lazy composition. It is an ineffective composition. It doesn't provide any meaning, any purpose. It has no use in photography. Now that's asinine on many levels, but that's a belief they have. So when they go back and look at photographs, they may use that bias in their filtering of their own work, or somebody else's work that causes them to then delete photographs that are actually good. Photographs that are important, photographs that are interesting, that have significance and purpose of meaning. All of those elements come into play because there's a bias there. That bias is what makes the photograph appear to be bad. So part of this question of what do we do with the bad photographs is one, we've got to get aware of those biases. We've got to get aware of what makes us and our skin sort of crawl when we look at photographs. Is it that it lacks color correction? Is it it's got a crooked horizon line? Is it it's got a weird crop? Is it that you don't like black and white photographs? Whatever it is, we have to figure out that bias so that we don't inadvertently look at a photograph and judge it solely, basis, solely based on the bias that we bring to the way we examine and view work. The second thing I think is really interesting about this is one of the things Skip and I were talking about, which is you go back through your old images and it may be, a month, it may be a year, it may be a decade, but you're going back and looking through old images and you find gems that are in there. Now, I'm not saying they're all gems that are in there, but you're going to find some gems that were in there that you passed over a month ago, a year ago, a decade ago as being a not good photograph, not an interesting photograph. It lacked something. And I think part of what happens there is sometimes we take photographs that we're not yet ready for. That we're not yet prepared to understand how to process, print, edit, sequence, identify. And so we look at them in their initial pass through as something that's really not gonna work. But with wisdom and with experience, we learn to see the value of those photographs. They become more deep, they become more meaningful, they become more insightful as. We revisit them under the context of what we know about ourselves and our photography today and also what makes for a good composition in photography. I think one of the things that happens to a lot of people is they enter their photography, their craft of photography. They are unaware of what possibly makes a good photograph, but they keep shooting and keep working and keep making photographs. And without that knowledge and information, they pass on photographs that look good that are important, that have some visual interest to them. We then learn and gain insights into what actually does make a good photograph, what makes for an interesting photograph. So when we return to that old work, these hidden nuggets, these gems that we've found are just things that we didn't have the skill set to understand when we first started out. And that's why I think going back to old, old work is really important because some of the things we innately do in our creative process have carried forward our entire time of our photographic process. We just didn't realize that when we were getting started, that that was part of our signature and style and who we were as photographers. I think the last little piece of this, when we're contextualizing sort of what to do with these bad photographs, is understanding that there is a lot of things and a lot of software out there, you may have heard of some of it, that supposedly helps us make better photographs. Some of it, we can just select certain things and change them at random. But outside of that, there's other pieces of software that help with noise, that help with color correction, that help with color fidelity, that help us understand cropping through rule of thirds, golden ratios, things like that with overlays. Those things exist in Lightroom and in Photoshop. There's all sorts of ways we can start to look at some of these images in a little bit more interesting way, and we can get a little help in the processing of those images. So an image that was taken years ago, maybe even on one of your first smartphones, your first iPhone it wasn't necessarily the greatest quality. Maybe it was a little noisy. Maybe it was a little bit crooked. Maybe the colors were a little bit off. We can fix a lot of that now. And we can fix it pretty easily. And so to be able to come back in and revisit some of these images that maybe didn't quite look right back in the day, we can get some help on with those. So there's a lot of little pieces around this for what allows us to potentially look at what was at one point an ignored photograph bring it up to speed so that it now is in the catalog and is now a good working photograph for us. And I think that's an important distinction to make. And that's one of the ways I distinguish the answer to this question, is there are photographs that we misidentified as insignificant that are significant. And then there are bad photographs. So the things we misclassified, the things we misunderstood, I don't consider those bad photographs. And so at the time, we may classify them that way, but they are, in fact, not that. And part of our learning is hopefully learning to distinguish between truly good and truly bad photographs. Now, the question of what to do with the bad photographs, these are the photographs that really don't really amass to a good photograph. And I think a lot of us know what those are. Now, in my world, I always joke that when I come back from any photo shoot, depending on if I remember to turn the Uh, vertical grip off on my camera. I might have 400 shots of my foot as the camera bangs against my hip if I've got my shoulder strap on and every time that shutter fires, it takes a photograph of my foot. Obviously bad photographs. Obviously could be deleted. Photographs that are way, way out of focus. I've gone out and done bird photography and come back where you can't see anything in focus. The focus tracking was off. I was off. There's not even enough of a blur to tell there was even a bird in the frame at some point. Obviously bad photograph. So there's obviously bad photographs and I think those easily get deleted. They're just taking up space. They're of no value, no no use. Nothing's ever going to come of them. Now, other photographs that may, again, on the surface seem like they're not very good, they may be close to good and maybe they hold up if we look at them on a small scale. Maybe it's not sharp enough to print 30 inches by 40 inches, but it's sharp enough to print 8 inches by 10 inches and still be a nice photograph to hang on the wall and look at and appreciate. So part of it is understanding What does the photograph ultimately give us and what is its sort of purpose in life? If its purpose is to sort of go up on social media as a click through look at of the dog running in the field, playing in the park, it doesn't necessarily need to be a great photograph. It doesn't need to have all the boxes checked. It's just sort of uninformative sharing of information about something that happened that day. But a photograph that becomes more important, more significant to you, what we would, I would deem sort of a more meaningful photograph, has a series of boxes that need to be checked off to say that it meets that quality bar. And this is one of the areas where I think that we have to do this with the bad photographs. I think we need to build that checklist. We need to identify what are those key components that we believe make a photograph good, a photograph acceptable, and a photograph bad. What is it about Again, in my vernacular, voice, vision, signature, and style, what are the four elements and what are the sub-elements with each one of those buckets? If a photograph, can we identify the voice? Can we identify certain elements of the voice? What was it that you had to say about that when you took the photograph? And it might be as simple as, wow, that's a cool rainbow. It doesn't have to be something profound, but does it meet that minimum bar of understanding that? Within your signature elements, does it include the components of composition that are significant to you and meaningful to you? And are those put together in a way that you believe aid in the telling of the information about that photograph. We talk about storytelling a lot in photography, but part of storytelling is, can I align the elements of composition within that frame so that you are able to visually understand and see what I want you to see in that photograph? It's not that there's some long drawn out war and peace narrative, but is the construction of that photograph in terms of the content of the frame in that composition, the way we have framed the image, Is that allowing for us to have that more insightful information? As we go through and examine the bad photographs, we need to examine all of those components before we ultimately decide, is it a bad photograph? And then if it is a bad photograph, which boxes does it check in the good, medium, and bad categories? And then if a photograph is truly bad and cross all categories, it probably should be marked for deletion. If it's bad in half the categories, it's an opportunity to learn. It's an opportunity to examine through our own work what can we do to make things better or hopefully make them better the next time we go out and photograph. I think if we just go on ahead and torch what we believe to be bad, again, we miss out on hidden gems and we miss out on a significant chance to learn how to become a better photographer and, more important than a better photographer, how to see better when we're out And grabbing the camera and wanting to photograph things, we start to make sure we don't repeat the same errors over and over again. The same things that we believe make up a bad photograph, we can make that happen. The other thing that I think that comes out of looking at bad photographs is sometimes, and of all the things, I think this is the one that is the most compelling to me from a personal growth standpoint, is there are things that I think when we look at photographs, and let's say like you're a person, and I used to be this way, I'm not anymore, which is why this sort of popped into my head. I used to want everything to be in focus. I was in that West Coast, F64, large format camera, shine, flug, tilt, foreground to background, everything in sharp focus. And so photographs that didn't maintain that focus, that was sort of my bias. And it didn't bother me in other people's photographs in photography. I actually sort of liked that soft, creamy out of focus that other people did. But in my own work, I sort of thought everything should be in focus. So when I judged photographs, when I evaluated them for their goodness or badness, If they didn't have that full level of sharpness, I consider them to not be a good photograph. And I wouldn't even really print them or process them, particularly in the analog days. They just didn't sort of meet that quality bar. Eventually, I started to realize that part of my own scene, part of my own understanding of my photography was that a lot of things were actually blurry and a lot of things were not supposed to be in focus. I was attempting to fulfill an artificial construct for what I thought should have been a good photograph, but it in fact wasn't. And so by having that awareness, having that chance to photograph and look at images that were partially in focus with a much more open examination of really what does that bring to the table, it gave me an opportunity to recognize that I'm a different type of photographer than I thought I should have been. And I got to start to be the kind of photographer that I am today. And there's still growth and opportunity to move forward and change. And of course, I can put everything in focus or nothing in focus. I've got lots more flexibility there through that awareness and understanding of What's not a bad photograph? And the other piece that comes from this is that notion of fixing the bad photograph. Yes, there's amazing software today that a lot of people are getting attached to. We're seeing a lot of articles written about some of this technology that allows us to go in and fix the problem in the photograph. But again, this sort of goes back to what are we ultimately fixing? Is in the photograph the curb behind somebody the problem? Is the color of the shirt a problem? Is it the fact that it doesn't have a lighthouse on the beach? A problem. If that is truly the problem of that photograph, and that's why it's a bad photograph, that is a really much more uh, interesting conversation to have with yourself about why you're making those changes and what you did not see or what you thought about when you were out there. Because when we start taking our photographs and we're out photographing and then we come back, and I'm not saying we can't do it because it's not cool, but we put a lighthouse in there because... We think it's cool to be able to put a lighthouse in there. That's a different experience than seeing behind the camera. So when we judge the photograph as being bad because it doesn't have a lighthouse, is that the actual correct assessment of that photograph? Was it a bad photograph because it lacked the lighthouse? Or is it interesting because you can add the lighthouse into it? And if it was a bad photograph, what did the lighthouse do that all of a sudden made it a good photograph or a great photograph? I think getting an answer to that question as you're doing that work Becomes important because it's really easy to get sucked into. I can completely re a photograph to make it more interesting. Is completely different than seeing the photograph when we go out and about to photograph. So as we think about fixing bad photographs and what to do with all those bad photographs, I do think purging some of them is a good idea. But again, only after we've made that assessment. And those of you who listen to the podcast for a long time know that this is not the first time I've talked about this for the podcast. I just think it's a really interesting opportunity because of some of the technology that's come up today with the generative AI, with some of the culling tools that automatically AI for duplicates, look for images that are slightly out of focus and will delete an out-of-focus photograph for you automatically, that a lot of those decisions are going to start to be made for us. And if we are not thinking about that ahead of time, we could inadvertently delete photographs again that go back to photographs that are really good and really important that we weren't prepared for, but the tools we're using, the AI tools that we're using may or may not have room for that chance for us to learn and have that growth opportunity. And I think that's an interesting spot to be and a very dangerous trap to be in where we end up losing work that could be really important because of the way we think about the deletion of that work. Hope you have a wonderful week behind the camera. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast this week. I really do appreciate it. If you're going to dive in and clean out your old images, good luck with that. But please remember to do it with a plan and do it because you are deleting truly bad photographs and just ones that you're not yet prepared for, because it would be really a terrible, terrible, heartbreaking adventure to realize that a photograph you deleted from years ago was actually something that's important that you need now that you better understand the type of work you're creating. Thanks again. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.